Thank you for listening to the Following Films podcast. Today I'm joined by Dana Abraham and Brenna Coates to talk about their work on the new film Neon Lights, which will be available on demand and on digital on July 12th. Hope you enjoy the show. Thanks. Thank you so much for taking time out of your morning to do this. I really appreciate it. Oh, of course. I appreciate talking to you. So I really, really enjoyed this film. I had a great time with this. This is the kind of thoughtful thriller that really can get under your skin. It builds tension throughout the whole time. And it's something that is, I think it's designed to make you uncomfortable, but it actually has a little bit more to say than your average thriller, where it is really about generational trauma and a little bit more thoughtful than most thrillers. And I'm wondering if that was something that attracted you to this particular piece. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> that was so well said. <laughs> that was so well said. Yes, absolutely. Um, reading the script, I just remember being blown away by uh, how it tackled PTSD head on. Um, I thought every single character that they wrote was so three-dimensional, so, you know, a fully fleshed out person. Um, I was so, so, so excited uh, to be a part of something that felt like it mattered. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And there's um, even characters that feel like they're very surface level at first, as you spend time with them, you get to see the actual complexity of them. And it's something that's, um, Specifically to your character, um, unlike a lot of the characters in this film, I could actually see joy in your performance of all things. It looks like you had a lot of fun diving into this. Not that this is a a joyful uh, performance per se something, but it looked like you were having a lot of fun with it. Oh, that's awesome. No one one has uh, said that. That's great because... You're right, because I was, I was having fun. It was such a tough time. I mean, this was November, eight or nine months into the pandemic. The American election was like just about to happen. I mean, it had been going on and it was like, you know, that week. And I also was actually going through something incredibly difficult in my personal life and neon lights happened and I got to go to work with these people and meet Dana Abraham and Ruse Bay, who are going to be my friends for life. (laughs) And, um, I got to go to work with my pops and I got to play Layla who was so centered. Like, it's like Layla had her shit together. So like Brenna had to have her shit together. (laughs) And that uh, was cool. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I think there is something that can be said for um, that's very cathartic about acting when you're either playing a performance that's way off kilter and you get to examine that side of yourself or you can just have no uh, sort of reservations about anything you say or do, or in this case where you get to actually pull it all together and show a side that actually has your shit together. And that has to be something that's cathartic in a different way as well. That's so true. I think you're right. I think every single scene Dana and I did together, I'm not going to speak for him, but for me, I think it was cathartic. Yeah, <laughs> it was. It, that is true. <laughs> well, if you think back at that specific time, we all needed something to hang our hat on at that point. And we're still, um, honestly, we're not out of that at this point where it's, yeah. you know, in a lot of ways, things have gotten a lot worse. Um <laughs> in the you know last couple of years here and so year and a half here and it's 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 something that i think we do need these moments of relief and to 
just not be completely wrapped up in the hopelessness of it all, which is such a weird way to uh, misstate what this movie is, because I don't know that it's necessarily a hopeful film. Yeah, this movie is, is a walk in the park. It's really joyful. I, it's not really a, a breezy watch. I mean, I had a no. good time with it, but no. it's not, but you can tell when I, there's sometimes you can feel in genre films thrillers or horror films or whatever it is, you can feel an ounce of cynicism in them uh, where you can tell that it's just something, okay, we're checking boxes, doing these things so that we can get this out to a certain number of quadrants so we can sell this thing. Mm. I didn't feel any cynicism in this film. Mm. It's something that's where that joy comes through, even though it's clearly its intentions are way different than that, but it can feel, it feels like a passion project. Totally. I think it was, I think from everything from how they cast it, to how they designed it, to the fact that it was shot in Hamilton, which is, you know, Dana, um, just, you know, should be Hamilton's spokesperson <laughs> at this point, um, um, to the music that was incorporated, to the beautiful, vibrant, stunning, almost kind of sometimes sexy, but fucked up shots that they shot. Yeah. Everything felt so authentic and true to Dana and Rue's base vision. Yeah, they weren't they weren't uh doing anything for anything other than the fact that they they felt like this story needed to be told. Well, it's and this is the probably the highest praise I can pay a film um considering my taste is that this felt like a more humanized version of The Shining. You're playing in that kind of sandbox that that area but you're doing more a more three-dimensional version of that where it's just a more grounded version big big spooky setting yeah that's true not too many characters yeah that's true (laughs) it's the the limited storytelling and the idea of you're focused on characters that you don't know how much you can trust what you're seeing and it's that way right from the jump where all these interactions that you're questioning What's real? What's perception? Is this interaction something that's actually happening? Or is this just one character's point of view on it? And I'm wondering if that's something you're thinking about in your performance, where you're thinking about that sort of the reality of it and where it stands at that moment. Because the scenes play out differently, where there's sort of an omniscient point of view, and then there's one that's very subjective at times. Mm. Yeah, it was, it, it, yeah, someone else said, you know, this kind of unreliable narrator. Mm -hmm. Um, which I I had never thought of it in in that way. For me, you know, the fact that this movie doesn't necessarily care about spoon feeding information to the audience, doesn't necessarily care about, you know, uh, logic. Uh, For me as an actor, it just made it, what that meant for me was it just made it fun because it just added layers and layers and layers and layers to what you were able to play. um, And it just added nuance. And it added this sense of like, kind of just like freedom, like, okay, well, if there's this impulse to kind of go this certain way, maybe that impulse could exist in this world that we're creating because actually like so many impulses exist in this world of neon lights. Yeah. This is not a, a film that I would say is um, people, the characters here are not thinking five steps ahead. They're definitely in the moment and living in that exact if yeah. anything, they're kind of thinking five steps behind and they're not right. reacting to the oh. current state of things, if that yeah. makes sense. True. Mm-hmm. So is this, because you mentioned the idea of not spoon feeding information to an audience. And that's something I actually really appreciate ambiguity. And I like when I can project being the semi-narcissist that I am. I, I enjoy being able to project myself onto the screen. And so, I'm, you know, just being honest. And so if, if I'm okay. able to see myself and characters that I normally wouldn't relate to, there are elements of this 
that I absolutely understand. Anybody who comes from a family with multiple siblings will understand elements of this, I think. Um, Yeah. And so the way that you're, you can have, you know, I'm one of five and you, if you ask each one of us what our experience was growing up, you will hear five wildly different stories and yet all of them to me are valid. And so seeing those perceptions um, kind of mapped out here, I think it's, is pretty um, uncommon territory to go through in a thriller. Like cool. This. cool. I like that. And my, and, and, you know, Layla's perspective, I really only cared about play. <laughs> right. Yeah, true. I, I think so. <laughs> I really only, I really only cared about Dana Abraham. <laughs> I, I, I was a good therapist. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, <laughs> certain, certain moments there. <laughs> that, Don't give it away. Don't say anything. Yeah. There's a, how about there's a unique approach to to, yeah. um, to therapy there that you normally there you don't go. see. So, no, no, no. There I mean, you go. <laughs> I put this, this is a movie that I think, I, I won't give anything away, but I really do feel like, despite the twists and turns that you have here, I don't think that's necessary for the film itself to enjoy it. It's not something that falls apart on rewatch because you know where it's headed. In fact, I think you can, because there's breadcrumbs have been laid throughout the entire film. It's actually, you can enjoy going back to see this again because you can pick up those pieces and the hints that have been laid there the whole time. Beautiful. I want people to watch it a first time and I want them to watch it another (laughs) time and another time and another time and another time because it's that good. (laughs) Fantastic. Yeah, it is. No, it's, it's worth watching. This is something that it's, it's one of those rare films that I think you can easily recommend to genre fans as well as people that just like, you know, they want something that's a little bit performance-based and they want yeah. something that maybe it's a, just an, that's not explosions that the real, the threat here is, I mean, yeah, there's people that are disappearing throughout the film, but the real threat is these relationships. That's what the yeah. stakes here are pretty low when you consider what most movies are based on these days. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I completely agree. I, uh, myself, I'm not the biggest bigot. Like I, you know, have a low tolerance for seriously scary movies. So I appreciate really? it. Really? One was more like an intellectualized scary movie. <laughs> well, I, I, I tend to think things are scarier when you give a shit about the characters. If you care about them, then it works. If it's not, it's just cannon fodder. And for me, those movies aren't scary because there's no emotional attachment to it. And it's just, oh, it's kind of like watching a magic trick. How did they pull that off? How did the camera work in that scene? What was the right. special effects makeup? That's not scary to me. You put. Oh, it's all scary to me. It's, it's all scary. To, to me, like an honest portrayal of a family Thanksgiving is by far scarier than anything that I see in your average horror. Film. Oh, wow. Well, then Neon Lights was perfect for you. <laughs> Family oh. reunion right there. Exactly. Yeah. I, so, But I know we're out of time here. and I, I really could talk about this movie all day. I had a great time with this and congratulations on it. You're wonderful in the film. It's just a, Thank you. So it was a real pleasure to see it. And it was great to meet you and speak with you. Thank you so much. I, I love the enthusiasm about the film. Thanks. Excellent. Have a good day. You too. Bye-bye. Today's episode of the Following Films podcast is brought to you by Bookman's. So earlier today, when I went into Bookman's, I was thinking about the conversation I was having earlier today, and I just wanted to 
check out a movie that maybe was a genre film, but had a little bit more on its mind. Something that was a horror film, maybe something that had a political or social commentary underneath it. And when I walked into Bookman's, I happened to come across the 4K edition of Candyman. Uh, the one that Scream Factory put out earlier this year, and it's a phenomenal set. I'm really looking forward to watching it tonight. But today I'm joined by my son, Jacob, who had some questions about Candyman, the movie. When he was looking at uh, the Blu-ray cover, he had some questions. So let's kind of go through those right now. So Jacob, come here. Yes. Uh, what is your first question about this Candyman? Um, um, what? What happens if you say your, his name five times? That's a, that's a good question, because on the bottom of the Blu-ray case, it says, we dare you to say his name five times. So if you look in a mirror in the movie and you say Candyman five times, Candyman will appear. He'll come there. And you'll kill. Oh, well, wow. Um, I, I didn't tell you that, but yeah, that, that's, that's what would happen. <laughs> Because this is make-believe, it's not a real thing that happens. This is just a story, it's just pretend. Good, good, good. So Candyman shows up in the room and then lights out. So do you have any other questions about the uh, the Blu-ray case here that you're looking at? Uh, why is there a bee right there? Okay, that's a good question. So the bee is there because Candyman, uh, well, what do you think? Well, if you had to, if you were gonna watch this movie, if you had to think, why would there be a bee there? What do you think is going on in this picture? I think a, um, a bee affected him. That's right, he, he was bitten by bees, that's right, yep. That's that's why there's a bee there because the Candyman was bitten by bees. And and means so, bees, means he would kill the bees that did that. Well, no, not necessarily. But so, do you have any other questions about this on here? Um, why is he in the eye? Oh, that's Candyman. That's just a reflection. So this is this eyeball right here. It represents there's a woman who's looking in the mirror, and then she can see Candyman in the mirror also. So I think that's what that's trying to portray. So I have a question for you about this movie. Do you think this is a movie that a kid should watch? No. Is this a movie that you ever think you'll watch? When you're a grown up, do you ever want to see Candyman? Yes. When you're a grown up? Okay, cool. As long as it's not too horrifying. It's not that bad. It's a lot of fun. Mom loves this movie. I love this movie. So we're going to probably watch this later tonight. How, wait, but how do you know all this stuff? How do I know all this about it? Well, because I like movies a lot. And that's why I have a movie podcast so that I can talk about movies. And why do you actually know all about what's in this movie? Because I've seen it a bunch of times. Oh. Um, the classic one, like part one? Yeah, well, there's actually, there's four Candyman movies. There's uh, three that star Tony Todd, who's that guy right there. He's actually, Tony Todd is a really well-respected genre actor. I like him a lot. In fact, we're connected on Twitter and we end up talking about music a lot. So really nice guy. He's not scary at all, the guy who plays Candyman in real life. And then there was a remake that was done, or I guess it's kind of a sequel to it that was done recently, came out last year, that's really, really good, or a couple years now, I guess it's, it's been out for. So yeah, definitely worth checking out. But, I have a new yeah. question. Why is there a Broadway deal? Well, that just makes it a little bit more horrifying. So I think we need to get back to the interview. Why don't you uh, just go ahead and say thank you for listening to the show to the people. Listening to the show. Goodbye. <laughs> Bye. Enjoy the rest of the show. Perfect. Hey, Dana, how are you today? I'm doing great, Christopher. Thanks for having me, my man. I appreciate uh, it. 
No, thank you so much for taking the time to do this. I, I really appreciate it. Um, I mean, just dive right into this. I feel like this is one of those things I could talk about for easily an hour because there's so Great, many man, things. Let's go to lunch. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, but the, the, I love an unreliable narrator. And I'm wondering if that was part of the conceit of this film when you were designing this, when you were writing this, and then ultimately thinking about performing it, um, that you're telling this point of view of this film from the point of view of somebody who clearly, we don't know exactly if they're on stable ground. And um, what led you to both create the character and then decide, yeah, that, that, that's something I could see myself throwing myself into. Well, uh, I always say that I'm actually acting in real life and Clay's just actually really me. So there's a good point there. But (laughs) (laughs) no, you know what? Considering Uh, this film, that's a little bit scary, Dana. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so my parents say too. But, you know, uh, you know, what it really came down to was we want to create something exciting. We want to create something different, something, you know, that I mean, we've all seen so many movies that you can kind of create a similarity to like American Psycho. Uh, You could even somehow tie it into the Joker with Joaquin. But in the end, we knew we didn't have the capacity as far as scales and resources to create something of those nature, right? So we want to be really smart, strategic. And by we, I'm talking about Ruz Behadari, the director and I. He's my creative partner on that project and my creative partner in general. But when it came down to creating clay in this world, we wanted to create something that was really exuding um, thrill, excitement, suspenseful, riveting. But at the same time, really dive into mental health, uh, really dive into childhood trauma, and all of that, when you couple that in, really creates that unstable foundation. But is that any different, Christopher, than what we were all experiencing during the pandemic? We were all on, on unstable grounds. We didn't know what was next. We didn't understand how we were going to cope with certain scenarios, certain circumstances, certain situations next, whether it was relationships with our intimate partners or family or even the loss of family. I mean, so many people have lost people. And how do we deal with that? So we saw people that were, were really close to us unraveling mentally. So Clay was just one step past that point. And it's something where when we find out more about each of these characters, the more humanized they become, that we see people, I, honestly, when we first inter- are introduced to them, almost as uh, caricatures, where it's, it seems like we have this idea, okay, I know who this is, but then there's depth that comes out in these characters, and including um, every one of the characters here. So as we find out how what happened to them in the past that has created this trauma, these uh, that created where they are today. And I think that the sympathy is something that's hard to pull off in a thriller like this. And in fact, none of these characters are really mustache twirling villains. They're not, no, nobody thinks they're the bad guy here. And I think that you can see the point from each one of these characters' points of view. Absolutely. And, you know, I, so the one thing that I felt like, sorry, not the one thing, I say one thing, <laughs> but there's so many things, but uh, one aspect that we definitely did want, want to touch on was that, you know, it's all about perspective. I think life is just in general about perspective. And I think most often uh, we, we look at things from only our point of view, whereas everybody has a, has a story. I remember my acting coach saying, don't ever judge your characters. Look at it from their perspective, right? So you, 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 whether you play the villain or the protagonist, you have to figure out what it is that they need and want. For each of these characters within the story, I wanted to humanize them enough that the audience could kind of root for them at any given moment. Whether you like them or dislike them, you have to see yourself in them to root for them. So I had to give them an opportunity to humanize because whether it's James or it's Benny or Clarissa or Blair, et cetera, every single character and person in life always has a perspective and a need. They're, from their perspective, they're never a villain. And so that's what we really wanted to encapsulate within each of the characters and, and their, their own arcs. And, um, and I think we did a really good job of that. That also gives us an opportunity then to resonate even further for anybody. 
So if, if somebody connects better with Clarissa than they do with Clay, they're going to feel just as human as we do and not look at themselves like villains. And that's what we really were hoping to accomplish. Absolutely. Because there's, um, <clears throat> for each one of these characters, there's an entry point to them. There's a, there's enough of separation that they're fully realized that it's not just seeing yourself mirrored on screen per se, but there's a element where you have that sympathy for them. And I think that's actually something that really does add to the stakes of the film. This is Absolutely. something that it just, you become more and more invested as the film reveals itself to you and something that I think creates so much more tension. Now, don't get me wrong from the opening frames of this movie, I was on board. I was definitely interested where it was going. Yeah. Um, and I was curious if you'd be able to maintain the tension throughout the piece. And I think you actually really succeed in that where really each moment, even moments that feel like they're nice and, and you know, that's kind of these quiet reflective moments, there's still this underlying threat of what's about to happen throughout the whole piece. And I think that despite the number of people that end up in harm's way at the end of this, I think you really do a great job of feeling that tension throughout the whole piece. Thank you so much. And, and, and that's a really a testament towards Ruse Bay that uh, as he directed that, he maintained that. Uh, he maintained the ability to capture what needed to be captured in order to maintain that level of, uh, you know, uh, suspense that was required. But at the same time, again, it's my castmates. They're, they're such brilliant performers. And, and I just can't wait for the world to see them the way we saw them when we watched those tapes and we, we brought them on board to these projects. I mean, more, you know, believe it or not, Chris, like, I actually had the least amount of experience and everybody on set, like they were actually working actors in Canada on series and shows. And I was like, man, like these guys trust me. Like, I can't believe it, but you know, they did such a brilliant job. And then you further that and you go to the, the crew and you go to the cinematography and go to the cam op, like Dimitri, like did such a, did a great job in the angles and how he worked with Ruzbe. But truly it actually goes back to the, the what we talked about just a quick bit earlier. It's uh, creating characters that were humanized enough that when people start disappearing and things go really awry if it's easy to want to watch somebody get killed or die or whatever when you're not rooting for them because you're like they're just a you know jerk of a person right yeah but then it's not that exciting it's not that suspenseful you're like okay good we wanted it to be almost like we don't want them to get killed because and we would we did it in a way that it was like you may or may not like them you may or may not see their perspective but eventually you did and then eventually like oh no you don't want them to disappear. They're on the cusp of revealing. They're on the cusp of bonding. They're on the cusp of whatever. And I think that is how you really get to the bottom line of a riveting story. Nevertheless, Neon Lights, I don't think, is just a, a genre piece or a psychological thriller itself. I think in moments, like you said, there's drama. There's moments of uh, chaos that has nothing to do with horror. And so overall, I think it lives in a world of its own. I'm really excited for the audience to see it the way you're seeing it. Well, it's you, to me, the way you define a film is what is it trying to convey? What's the idea that it, that it wants to succeed in getting across to its audience? Is it something where we just want to scare the shit out of you? Yeah, then that's just a straight genre film. I don't feel like that's what the purpose of this film was. I think you were really dealing with this idea of probably generational trauma of this family and what happened to them and what the sort of 20 year um, 20 years past that event and what, what created this and what has happened and what's the, uh, you know, the what's the ripple effect of that? And I think that's what you're really playing with here. And I, I really love that, but you're also doing it in a way where it's not um, really just giving you all the answers. I think that you're, you're given enough room to kind of project your own personal experience into it. And it's something where I think you, you know, you think of Kim Coates here, you think of Denver, that's kind of playing immediately in my mind. I, 
I, I don't know if this was by design or by thought, but I was thinking of Grady from The Shining. It was this idea that just kind of yes. clicked with me. Okay, yeah, right away. Yep. And I'm like, oh, okay, they're playing yep. with those like isolative elements, but it's a much more humanized version of that, where it's just not immediately psycho out of the bat. It's just okay. There's what if we take some of those conceits and we just make it with real people? And I, I really love that. You're absolutely right. I mean, uh, Ruse, one of Ruse's favorite movies is The Shining. So he okay. definitely has some different elements. I thought that. I saw some some nods there. Oh, there is some definitely a little bit of, you know, there's some crumbs there for you guys. Um, I'm a big American Psycho fan. I love that character. I, I, the other day I was uh, I, I was breaking out a little bit and I, and I had this ice mask I bought on Amazon. I put it on. My sister's in my house and she goes, you're a psychopath. I'm like, yeah, well, you know. <laughs> but, you know but, you know, it's like you, you take those little elements in life and you know, as they say, art imitates life, life imitates art. And you kind of find ways to include that into your work. I, where I'm really fortunate is I got to write this screenplay. So I got to really take a lot of my influence, the things that I've experienced and put it in. But nevertheless, um, for us, it was just trying to make sure that we, we did a really good job of, again, heightening the awareness on mental health and heightening the awareness of the childhood traumas. And, and then, you know, statistically proven to get a movie out there and sold, I knew that it needed to be somewhere in the genre space. Uh, that's something that's the statistic that, agree, uh, you know, is, is easily available. So the first time filmmaker, it, it was, I was never going to be able to sell a movie that's a drama with me as a lead. We know that it's mean the Leonardo DiCaprio. So we felt, okay, let's create a genre piece that was still meaningful and told an underlying story and message. And so that's what we really came to when it came to Neon Lights. And, and, and I'm just really grateful and graciously humbled that it worked. It does. It does. It's a uh, little bit of a miracle anytime any film works uh, because so many <laughs> yeah. things can go wrong in the course of it. But I, uh, you know, it, especially something in the genre space, which you can tend to set the levels in a way that um, makes it feel cynical. And this, this doesn't feel like that at all. This feels like a, um, this is a great film that I think people that are looking for something that's a little bit more thrilling, they will absolutely enjoy this. If you're looking for something that's a little bit more performance-based, I think you could enjoy this as well. This is one of those rare films that would cross over in that way. And I, I know we're, we're running out of time here, but I just wanted to say thank you and congratulations on the film because I'm definitely looking for uh, whatever's coming down the pike next, man. Thank you so much, Christopher. I really appreciate having me, man. And I uh, can't wait to chat with you down the line, bro. I hope so, man. I'm going to hold you to that. Yeah, absolutely. Please do. <laughs> cool. Take care, Dana. Cheers. Thanks, man. Cheers, bro. Time enough to figure you out. Time enough to write this down Wish me luck, give me hope
Wisecrack.